recording in progress. Thank you, Robot. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I'm not ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Are you not ready? No, no, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quit trolling me, Johnny. I'm fragile. <laughs> you told me you weren't ready. I, now I'm gaslighting. I'm trolling. I moved from trolling into gaslighting. <laughs> okay. How the hell do I do this thing again? Hello and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spew our opinions into your hearing holes. What we lack in education, we make up for with rants, raves, and rambles. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a wonderful guest who is a freelance podcast producer and a fellow co-host on the amazing podcast about graphic novels called the Graphic Novel Explorers Club. Johnny Flores. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Super stoked to talk about the movie that you've selected. But before we get into that, we're going to get into your history with movies. Let's do it. Starting with what was the first movie you remember seeing in the movie theaters? The movie that comes to mind is Flash Gordon, which is a disco sci-fi retelling of the serial films of Flash Gordon. I almost said Glash Flores. Gordon, uh, <laughs> Flash Gordon with the sound killer soundtrack by Queen. What is the plot of it? I don't know anything about it. Okay. So Flash Gordon is a, uh, I think he's like a pro football player or something like that quarterback. And he gets transported to another dimension or another time. He winds up saving a universe through his male whiteness. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. Max Vaughn something is the antagonist. Oh, who yeah. I believe the character is based on a racist caricature of Asian people. Oh, no. Because that's the era that this series was created. Yeah, like 60s, 70s? No, 1920s, 1910s, oh, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah, okay. it's old. It was a serial movies, much like the serial movies that inspired Indiana Jones. This one was set in the future or in space, something like that. And Flash Gordon saves the... Flash Gordon's going to save every single last one of us. That's what the, <laughs> the Queen song goes. You sounded like A. Sean Benjamin when you did that. <laughs> Tell me about that first time. Like, what do you remember about the theater and the movie? I don't really remember much. I, I've seen this movie maybe once. The only thing I really comes to mind, because I would have been about five, four or five when this movie came out. He, he has to like put his hand in some sort of orb and it will burn him or pinch his hand. Like some people it attacks their hand and some people it doesn't for some reason. And then I believe at the end of the movie, the antagonist, it's a weird combo of like disco 70s look slash 1920s, 1930s serial film, a retro future look. And it, the spaceship has a, a needle point on it. Like the nose comes to a point and it crashes and kills the bad guy that way. It like pierces his chest. Oh, and there's yeah. like flying sled things and winged creatures, like humans with wings in the movie. And that's that's all I remember about it. Were they people in costume or was it like animatronics and puppets? No, they found a tribe of people who have actual wings growing out of their back. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all slaughtered to, to make a profit on this movie. But uh, no, no, no. Sounds yeah, like Hollywood. It's it's humans, you know, with like that have wings like angels. Did you find it scary at all or did you think it was cool? You know, I don't remember. I feel like there was times when I was maybe a little scared and other times where I had no clue what was going on. You know, gotcha. I was just watching a movie in a theater with somebody. It might not have even been my parents. It might have been neighbors across the street. I don't know. I looked the movie up because I was curious what it was rated for a five-year-old to be seeing it, but it was looks like it was before ratings. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> it was probably because PG-13 didn't happen until Indiana Jones. Yeah, the second uh, Temple of the Doom. Temple of Doom, yeah. So it was probably, I bet you, a PG movie back then. Yeah. And I think it did terrible at the theater. And the lead actor, I believe that was his only movie he ever made. But he'll pop up in conventions, you know, like comic book conventions. He'll sign autographs and stuff at those. Oh, nice. It had a budget of $27 million and it made $46 million at the box office. Oh, okay. So. so it probably broke even. Maybe it just didn't have great ratings. It's one of those movies I'm surprised. I would be more surprised if it has never been parodied on Mystery Science Theater 3000 than, than if it had. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's cheesy. It is super cheesy. Yeah, it's, seriously. It's like disco art aesthetic meets retro future look. That sounds fun. With terrible, like terrible effects. 
sex too on top of it. <laughs> that sounds like a fun movie to watch with like a group of friends where you can kind of like talk over it yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sasha and I, we were talking about this era of like Star Wars was big. And then, uh, oh no, I was talking to a buddy. I'm sorry. It was, I mean, Sasha is my buddy. She's my girlfriend and my buddy. <laughs> uh, it was a friend of mine. We were talking about Conan the Barbarian and Star Wars and how these two movies came out of nowhere. And then movie executives at the time were like, oh, we need that. We need our version of that. And how mm. there was just this era of like also rans from like the mid 70s to the late 80s. And then how they just were like, well, wait, Mad Max did really big. Let's try and combine a Mad Max movie with a Conan the Barbarian movie. And there was this movie probably came out about 86, 87 starring Patrick Swayze, where it's like sword and sorcerers, but in a dystopian Mad Max world. Distinctly remember renting this movie with my friend from a, a grocery store that back when grocery stores used to have rental VCR rental oh, tapes. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. And we were halfway through the movie and we're just like, this is terrible. We as 12 year old boys, 13 year old <laughs> boys should be just absolutely falling in love with this movie. And we're like, this is garbage. Even as children, we knew this was bad. <laughs> now I want to see it even more. <laughs> yeah, what, oh, I'll look it up real quick. That movie was made in 87 and it's called Still Dawn. In a post-apocalyptic world, a warrior wandering through the desert comes upon a group of settlers who are being menaced by the leader of a murderous gang who's after the water they control. Damn. But he's got a sword. But yeah, after like Bar <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, there was Kroll, K-R-U-L-L, -L, where this guy like a dagger thingy threw. Beastmaster. Those were like B movies. There were C movies like the, the Barbarian twins. There were these two, they were twins who were muscled up and they would star in sword and sorcerer movies. Fun. Ah, uh, the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember at all what your feelings were about the movie theater? Like, were you really excited to keep going to movies and seeing more after your first one? The, the parent I grew up with was uh, my mom and she was a big movie buff. Mm. So going to see the movies was always... I hated summer, having summer vacations because my mom would take the, like she would take a month off from work and then just bust my ass for the entire month from pretty much like 10 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night. We would work on our house. Damn. But the movies were, you know, if we were ahead of schedule, whatever her schedule was, I never knew. If we were ahead, she'd be like, okay, let's go see the new Star Trek movie. Like, cool, let's go. So then, you know, it was always like a break. The movies were always a break from the crap she made me do. <laughs> just like building a house from scratch, basically. <laughs> Yeah, basically it would be my mom would buy a crappy house in a good neighborhood and then we would work on it for three or four years and then she'd sell it and then oh. we'd buy a crappy house again and in a better neighborhood and then we'd work on that for two or three years and then yeah, so she was kind of house flipping but we would we lived in the house. Damn. You know? Yeah, it sucked. I hated it. Yeah, but it sounds I, like a horrible summer vacation. <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah, it was year round. It wasn't just during the summer, but oh. the summer's. The summers amped up because I had no school to go to. She had, <laughs> she oh, didn't have man. to take into consideration like, oh, my kids got to get up for school tomorrow or do homework. Yeah, <laughs> brutal. Yeah, it sucked. I hated summer vacations. I hated them. Damn, yeah, I can imagine. But at least you had movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, movies movies were always a, a, a good escape. And then also my, my mom, you know, no, no fault of her own. She was a single parent, so she had to work. So movies were always basically where I learned everything. <laughs> You know, like uh, emotional intelligence right. or uh, how to be a good person, anything like that. I learned from TV and movies. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, I think starting probably with Generation X is like the first generation that was just parented by TV and movies. And it's just oh, continued yeah. up till now. Yeah, we were latchkey kids. We, I, we were like that first generation of latchkey kids, I think. Yeah. What was the first movie that you saw in theaters without any parents or supervising adults? I want to say it was the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Nice. My best friend in eighth grade and high school, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I became friends with my best friend Santino in, in the eighth grade. Uh, 1990. 90. So yeah, I would have been a sophomore. But we went to the Birdcage Theater, which doesn't exist anymore. It was, there used to be a place called the Birdcage Mall, where back then you could rent movies, but they didn't always have them in. The rental place would have one copy. Basically what the Birdcage did was after a movie left the movie theater, the Birdcage would show it and it would be like, a buck to get in oh, and they made yeah. their money off the concession stand. I mean, all movie theaters do, but yeah, it was like a buck to get into the theater 
with five bucks, you could get your popcorn and snacks. My buddy and I took his little stepbrother. We took his little brother to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's a fun movie for kids. Yeah. And, you know, we were the right age. I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had come out when I was about 12. We were right on the kind of tail end of being enthralled with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think if we had been a year or two older, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. I remember we were so used to the cartoon, like Kang wasn't in it. Mm. The the Warthog, Rhino, Bebop, and Rocksteady. I don't think they were in it. Shredder was the uh, the villain. Casey Jones was in it. Splinter was in it. Oh, that's right. I think it was all Jim Hansen studio puppets. And then Shredder, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, Shredder gets crushed <laughs> in a garbage truck at the end of it. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah. And then I think they just beat up street gang members and occasionally the Foot Clan. Despite just watching it last summer, I still don't remember. And there were definitely some very cringy moments, but it was one of those like fun, bad movies. Certainly entertaining. Even back then, I think we were like, okay, this is not a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being disappointed that the cartoon voices weren't the voices in the movie. Mm, I think Corey yeah. Feldman was one of the voices. I think he was Raphael or something like that. Yeah, that would be jarring as a kid because like the voices are the characters for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm still in therapy. Uh, <laughs> From that. Overheard experience. my, yeah, the disappointment of Michelangelo not sounding like a surf dude in the movie. <laughs> Understandable. Overall, what would you say that your relationship is with movies? Like, are you more of a casual watcher? Is it just a hobby or are you very passionate? How regularly do you watch movies? I used to for years, pretty much my entire 20s, I would go to the movies with a buddy of mine. We both had very similar upbringings. Like, his mom died when he was about 11, I think. And then he was raised by his stepdad. He's like, my stepdad was the nicest guy, but he did not parent me. Yeah, he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was just like, I was on my own. And I w- was similarly, my parents separated. We, my dad and I have a great relationship now, but he was not around really when we were kids. And my mom, you know, worked swings or like a late swing or like graveyard shift. My sister and I were pretty much on our own. Yeah. So movies were always like my escape from whatever. Mm-hmm. And so him and I, when we became friends, which he's part of the reason I picked the movie that I picked for today. And him and I just like instantly bonded over the fact that we were like raised by TV and movies before it was a thing where we just had tons and tons and tons and tons of pop culture references. <laughs> you would just drop in a thing while somebody was talking and him and I would instantly look at each other. We would respond with, you know, a reference from a movie or a TV show or a cartoon, whatever, or a yeah. song and just like crack each other up and nobody <laughs> else would be laughing because we were the only <laughs> ones that got that reference. Because we just, you know, as kids, we just devoured anything. Oh, okay. They're doing a run of some obscure Kung Fu movie. Well, let's watch it. And then him and I like just bonded over that. I came of age in the era of probably like when indie movies were at their peak. A lot of things were coming out. Like I remember one of the first movies that really opened my mind to gay and lesbian society or culture was a movie called something like The Incredibly True Story of Two Young Women in Love or Two. (laughs) Try to find it. The Incredibly True Adventures of Two Girls in Love. Yeah, that's it. There was a a nine 99 cent mom and pop video center around the corner from our apartment. And I went in there and I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll, I'll rent it. It was in the indie aisle. And <laughs> nice. I and I watched it. And it just was like a really eye opening experience. I wound up renting that movie like four or five different times of, over like the course of a year. Just kept watching it. Aww. That era of like all these indie movies were coming out. And yeah. then as I got older, I started kind of backtracking a little bit and really got into Akira Kurosawa. Probably in my late 20s, I was really into his movies. Nice. Always had a love for New Hollywood, the late 60s, like the mid 60s, early 70s era of movies. As I got into my 30s and I got more, more and more busy, you know, I couldn't going to the movies started to drop off significantly. Yeah. But one of my favorite things I used to do, my absolute favorite things to do was either with my buddy P or by myself when I lived in Oceanside, California, I'd go and see a movie, get out of the movie, go get something to eat. And then I would go down the street from where the theater was. There was a bookstore. So I'd go in there and buy two or three books and then right next door was a warehouse records so then i'd go in there and buy like two or three cds and then <laughs> damn i would go back to our barracks room this is when i was in the navy or our apartment when we finally moved off base and i would just sit there in, in my room put on a cd and read my brand new book 
<laughs> Damn, that's beautiful. Yeah, I would just crush books. I was I was reading like three or four, five books a week back then. So every week I'd see a movie. Every weekend, see a movie, five books. I should have got a library card. I don't know why I didn't have a library card back then. <laughs> I'd have tens of thousands of dollars in my savings just from not going and buying $20, $30 worth of books every weekend. Yeah, you said like two to three books. I was like, damn, big spender. Yeah, yeah, crush them. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a like beautiful afternoon. That's like kind of an ideal afternoon. I would say to get to watch a movie and read books and listen to music. Those are like three of my favorite things. Yeah, it was just absolutely completely free. It was like one of the most free times of my life. I had no responsibilities. Basically, it was just stay alive. Yeah. And uh, I would go surfing all the time, barbecued all the time. I was drunk and high all the time. And I was reading and going to the movies and listening to the CDs all the time. Were you happy? No, I was not a happy person <laughs> back then. <laughs> I was emotionally stunted and uh, very afraid of everything pretty much, but I, I uh, masked it behind booze and weed. Yeah. You were in your 20s, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say most people. That's how it is for most people in their 20s. Like just trying to figure it out and a lot yeah. of times messing up about it. That's what your 20s are for. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the dark side of being raised by TV and movies is mm -hmm. you're emotionally stunted. You know, it took me a long time to like figure out how to be emotionally mature and love myself, you know, and accept love from others and movies is not... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed, but I'll, I'll say this. Like I would have a crush on a girl and ask her out. Maybe we went out, maybe we didn't. And then I would immediately go into like, what's that John Cusack say anything mode, right? Make oh, these like yeah. big declarations of why we should be together or whatnot. And it would scare them <laughs> off, you know, rightfully so. They'd be like, whoa, dude, this is too intense. I was like, well, by this point and say anything, you know, or, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're an hour into say anything. At this point, I should be making big declarations of why we should stay together, or, you know, right. or be together, whatever. So that's the bad part of being raised by overly dramatic anything. I mean, that's the whole point of whole Hollywood or storytelling is to be dramatic. So yeah, it was not, that was not a, a good way to be uh, parented. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say that it's only bad parts to be raised by TV and movies. Speaking yeah. as someone who also was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it took me a long time to like emotionally mature and like take care of myself and want to love myself because I didn't know how. Yeah, that's something that I've read about and psychologists have talked about is that you can also parent yourself with shows and movies that are actually healthy because they've said like part of the issue is that a lot of kids are coming from un unhealthy families and then they're watching movies and TV about unhealthy families or oh. if not if not explicitly unhealthy, they're just so unrealistic, it's useless. But nowadays there are more movies and more TV shows like Parenthood is one that comes up a lot where it actually shows adults like handling confrontation and working through things mm. and ultimately always figuring things out together as a family. And so psychologists actually recommend people to like watch stuff like Parenthood to get an example of maybe what a functioning family can look like. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad these kids have better. If they're going to be latchkey kids, they have a better chance of coming out of it a little healthier than we did apparently yeah it's either that or parents actually parent <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> which might be easier for them to do if we were able to earn a living wage and yeah. rent didn't raise by 300% every year and yada, yada, yada. And daycare was affordable and or yes. even taken care of so you didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. Yep. Anyways. Back to movies, <laughs> escaping into movies. <laughs> Tell me one of your favorite movies of all time and why is it one of your favorite movies of all time? I mean, I could go with the classics like Ghostbusters is one of my all time favorite movies. Beetlejuice is one of my all time favorite movies. I really the thin red line. I really like that movie. It's an anti-war movie. It's almost poetic in the way it's told. But of recent favorite movie I've seen in a long time is The Green Knight, which came out last year. Oh, hell yeah. I love that movie. I've watched it twice. It's it's just like a surreal telling. I like how they chose the main hero is of Middle Eastern Indian descent, but he's with like a Scottish actor and, and it's a fable and the ending is ambiguous. Like what what happened to him? Did he actually if you haven't seen the movie, I won't spoil it. it go see it. Yeah, let's not spoil it. Yeah, it, it, And it's based on an old pre medieval tale. I mean, it goes back thousands of years and it's just been retold and retold and retold. And uh, it's a visually 
stunning movie on top of it. Absolutely. I agree. I just watched it a couple of weeks ago. And as soon as it finished, I was like, I want to watch that yeah. again. But it was late. So I couldn't like immediately start watching it again. I still want to see it a second time. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. It's gorgeous. It's really masterfully crafted it's it's what i want to see when i see movies like it's art they approached it like it's art yeah there's no definitive answer on the ending you know there it could be this or it could be that and it's up to you to interpret that how you want yeah just like a a painting you know painting doesn't give you all the answers or an adult movie you know like a movie geared towards people who want to critically think about something or be challenged in in the story like oh you say it's this well here's a part earlier that might be you know contradicting what you're thinking but then there's another part that is backing up what you're thinking it's just yeah yeah just a well-done movie yeah so much less exposition and i feel like in that way it feels more like a foreign movie because i think foreign movies prior to american influence on them tend to have a lot less exposition and explaining like every little thing that's happening to the audience audience he barely which talks. I think studios have pushed for. yeah he barely the main talks protagonist of the movie hardly says anything at all which you don't see much in movies nowadays another movie i would say i really enjoy i've watched it several times and in fact i watched the movie that it's parodying and i love this movie more than the actual movie is walk hard the dewey cox story which is a parody of walk the line the Johnny Cash biography movie. I absolutely love that movie. It's fucking stupid. (laughs) It's ridiculous. There's absurd parodies of famous people that he's supposed to be. Jack White plays Elvis and it's set in the 50s. He's 50s Elvis, but he's doing things that 70s Elvis did like karate chops and and stuff like that. I just (laughs) I just love it. Those are like my two movies that I've been watching lately. Whenever Walk Hard pops up on a streaming service i'll watch it nice i i have never seen it and i didn't know until you said just now that it's a parody and yeah. a comedy i thought <laughs> no, it was real it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> like and there's great songs like they write great parody songs i like movies where like musical comedies or, or or stuff like that where there's music in the movie where they're supposed to be in an era they'll duplicate that like it looks authentic but it's just they're making fun of it spinal tap does that when they show the history of spinal tap and they're like a british uh 60s band that's more like the turtles as opposed to or hermits hermits as opposed to like when you see spinal tap in the present where they're a hair glam rock band yeah that's a great movie too the green knight i haven't watched as much i i want to i should just buy it i that's another thing I used to do when I was younger. I'd buy movies all the time and that that, that I really loved. Yeah. I wouldn't just buy a movie just to buy it. But if I really loved it, I'd buy it. I don't really don't do that much anymore. But Green Knight's one I should buy. Yeah, you're right. I should too. That's what we're taking away from this episode so far. Everyone go buy Green Knight. <laughs> and walk hard the story of Dewey, Dewey Cox. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and there's male nudity in there. It's gross. But if there's male oh, fru- okay, full frontal nudity in. Uh, you had me at male nudity. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a big proponent of that and stuff. I was like, if you're going to show breasts, Merkins or whatever the thing is called that they use to cover up. Yeah. Thing, I was like, start showing male nudity too. Yeah. Normalize it. Genital equality. So, and okay. they do that in walk hard the Dewey Cox story. How did you <laughs> how did you think walk hard was a real story when uh, it says his name is Dewey Cox? Oh, I don't know. Isn't I mean, have you seen baseball players names? Or NASCAR, there was Dick Trickle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> This is the spot where the ad goes. Bring Your Own Popcorn is hosted by Podbean. Do you want to make a podcast with Podbean? You can use a special code by going to podbean.com slash extra butter to get your first month of hosting podcasts with Podbean for free. Wow, what a deal. And hey, as long as you're here, let me tell you about a couple of other cool podcasts that you can check out. Now, how do you know they're cool? Because I said so, and because they're my friends. For example, Far Beyond Metal is a podcast with Daniel Cordova, a writer for MetalInjection.net. On Far Beyond Metal, Daniel interviews metal bands about metal bands and cats and food and whatever else he wants to. If you listened to our previous episode, you will remember our wonderful guest, Milk Surface. Milk Surface has their very own podcast called Nymphomercial, which they host with two to three to four to five other wonderful people while they recap hentai for your listening pleasure. And last, but certainly the opposite of least, if you want to hear more of me and Johnny, you can listen to our other podcast, Graphic Novel Explorers Club, where we review graphic novels along with our third excellent host, Dennis. 
check out all of the podcasts in the world. But in the meantime, let's get back to this one. The movie that we're talking about today, chosen by our guest, Johnny Flores, is a 1992 neo-noir crime thriller, dialogue-driven heist film that was the first feature-length film created by Quentin Tarantino. This movie had a budget of $1.5 million and grossed $2.9 million at the box office, which was a modest success, particularly for a brand new filmmaker. The movie that we're talking about is Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir, reservoir, we're (laughs) going to get those reservoir dogs. (laughs) And that's the theme song that Johnny just (laughs) reenacted. It came out of left field. It doesn't really fit the tone of the movie. (laughs) Johnny, you've selected this movie. Please give me a brief summary of your chosen movie in your own words. It is the events that happen before and after after a jewelry heist, mostly after. You don't see what happens during the heist, but the heist goes wrong. And then the thieves uh, try to figure out who amongst them is the rat that tipped the police off to what was happening. Who done it? Who's the rat? Yeah. It's in its most simplest form. You've got six thieves who all go by code names, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink, Mr. Orange, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown. And then their boss, and then the boss's son, nice guy, Eddie. Or as Mr. Blonde would say, I don't have a boss. And that's the person who put the team together to rob a jewelry store. Tell me about the first time that you watched this movie. Where did you watch it? Who did you watch it with? What was your response the first time you watched it versus how you felt rewatching it for this episode? I saw this at home when I was probably just after graduating high school. I rented it from a night. 99 cent video store, which were by that time, Blockbuster was slaughtering. A lot of the mom and pop places couldn't survive because of Blockbuster. Mm. But the benefit to those stores was they carried obscure movies, foreign films, things that you couldn't find at Blockbuster. And this mom and pop place that was around the corner from my uh, parents' house had this movie. And I was just going in there to find something that I just started getting into indie cinema and cinema of the, uh, the new way, the new Hollywood era. And And I saw the cover of this cassette box and uh, it was Mr. Orange and Mr. White pointing their guns at each other. And then I flipped it over and was reading the description of the back and they had a couple stills. And I just remember thinking whoever was the director of photography, it just had a very distinct, gritty look to the imaging. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to rent this. I don't care. I'll see. And I got it home, watched it by myself and was blown away. I had never, ever seen a movie like this. Like the opening scene is just them, the theme thieves and you don't know that they're thieves just sitting around talking to each other at the time i thought it was very witty and clever now as an older man i think it's sort of shows how immature and shitty these guys are but at the time i'd never had seen an opening scene like that where you don't know who these guys are they're talking shit making fun of madonna mr pink goes on a rant about why he doesn't tip after that i was just in it like it's the next scene cuts to one of the characters is gut shot and he's screaming and crying like you didn't see that like he wasn't being a tough guy he was crying his eyes out and he's scared he's pain he's like kicking the car with his feet because he's in such agony and it just it just happened they did the the credits and then that happens and you're like what the hell and it was like that from through the entire movie i just i was enthralled i was like what is going on in this movie definitely very different at that time there was nothing out like that now as an older person i know how much he borrowed from (laughs) it's a lot of borrowing from other people's movies but Mm -hmm. but yeah that yeah he definitely because i think a lot of the movies he borrowed from were foreign films so he was the first american bringing some of those concepts to American yeah. films. Or just like the look of them, like that was, you know, kind of blues brothery, like the black suits with white tie, you know, white shirts, black ties. The opening crawl scene was very, or the way they slow motion walk out of the diner was very either Coppola or, or I think that was like Francis Ford Coppola influence on that. But it just really blew my mind. I hadn't seen anything like that. And then I joined the Navy probably six, seven months later after that, went to boot camp and then went to hospital corpsman school. And this was summer of 94. And this is how this movie like put me for better or for worse on the direction I went through for most of 
like my 20s at hospital corpsman school. I didn't really know anybody. You know, nobody knows anybody. You're coming from all over the country. Me and this one guy started talking. I don't even know how we got on the topic. He wound up becoming my best friend. Uh, he went by the by the name P, the letter P. Him and I were like, oh, you've seen Reservoir Dogs. Like nobody else had seen it. I tried <laughs> to talk to my friends from high school about it. And they were like, eh, no, nah, I don't know, dude. Him and I like bonded over that. And then there was two or three other guys, one of whom was from LA and was like, I know all those spots. He's like, I live pretty much it's like in my backyard where I live, where I grew up. And we all bonded over the movie. And then right before, as we were finishing up Hospital Corman School was when Pulp Fiction was about to come out. And we had told everybody that in our class, like, we have to go see this movie. Like, if you can, rent Reservoir Dogs somewhere or watch it and then go see this movie. And uh, we wound up talking, talking about 10, 10, maybe a dozen people into going to the movie. And we all piled into one cab, which was, uh, I don't know why the cab driver did that, because there was 10 or 12 people in a cab. Jesus. In fact, it was... <laughs> We were so crammed in there. Me and another guy held one of the doors. It wouldn't close. So we just held it enough to where the door light went off. And oh he was God. like, okay, everybody's in. We're like, yeah, everybody's in. <laughs> and he drove us. He was like a mile away to the theater we went to. Oh, yeah. And then we're like on the way back. We're like, we'll get two cabs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. And what did everyone think of the movie? Oh, Pulp Fiction. They loved it. They're like, who's this guy? We're like, Quentin Tarantino. He wrote, because this is right around the time True Romance had been out maybe several months before. Four. Quentin Tarantino wrote that he didn't direct it and he sort of distanced himself from it. Although there's references like in Bikai Tail's character in Reservoir Dogs talks about Bama, this woman that he some some crimes with. And that's the same character that's in True Romance. Uh. Natural Born Killers had been out and he wrote that. And the connection to this movie is Scagnetti in Natural Born Killers is Mr. Blonde's Vic Vega's parole officer. And then Vic Vega is Vincent Vega's brother from Pulp Fiction. As we were discovering this, we're like, what? That's all interconnected. <laughs> but we were like, we were the ones that knew this because we had seen all these movies yeah. that nobody else had really seen or paid attention to. So um, so we're like, what? Quentin Tarantino's a nerd. And it was the first time really like a nerd was doing stuff that nerds appreciated because he's a latchkey kid too. And I remember seeing in one of the scenes, there's a Silver Surfer poster on the wall, which after this movie, Quentin Tarantino took a script for a Silver Surfer film to to a movie studio, but that's the next movie he wanted to do, but they turned him away. I think I had read something about that, but I forgot about it. Yeah. And the soundtrack too, that was another thing, you know, like this soundtrack was, the Pulp Fiction one was big, but all of us that were nerds that had seen Reservoir Dogs already had the soundtrack to this. Oh. So that was like another thing we bonded over. It was like, he has a clip of Stephen Wright, the comedian Stephen Wright, who does the voiceover. He's the radio DJ. Oh, yeah. But in this movie in Reservoir Dogs we would say that to each other as like behemoth um, <laughs> like if something was big we'd just be like oh yeah the behemoth and I, <laughs> we were the only four or five that would laugh about that yeah and everybody else would be like why are you guys saying that and we're like oh don't worry about it what else yeah what else yeah and that sort of like put me I, me and that guy P became really good friends and lived together we had a place on the beach well we got to our first command on Camp Pendleton and lived like fucking idiots our room was so <laughs> gross we had a pizza in our fridge that we we kept this pizza box and the few slices of pizza in it for years every time we every time we moved we would bring this pizza box oh and uh the, the three or four slices that were in it and if somebody was at our house or our apartment they'd be like oh i'm hungry can i see what you got in your fridge we're like sure go for it and someone inevitably would be like oh can i have a slice of pizza and we would we'd giggle to like look at each other giggle and be like yeah help yourself and oh. they'd open the box they'd be like how old is this because they would just everything was white Ew. and and curled and rock hard <laughs> like the pizza had bowed into a, a U. Oh my god! And um, and we were just idiots. And unfortunately, we did not lift each other up numerous times. Girls that we had dated had said, "I like you by yourself, but when you guys get together, you are so obnoxious." Because <laughs> we just had like our own secret dialogue, you know, from mm -hmm. pop culture references, and we would just do dumb shit. We had tons and tons of inside jokes. Unfortunately, yeah, we just like. Our X-Men power was amplifying the other person's immaturity. Mm. <laughs> it was not pleasant. We were not pleasant to be around. Mm. But then you had someone like Quentin Tarantino who was obnoxious and getting lots of attention. So we thought, oh, we're, we're validated in our obnoxiousness. Yeah, I can see that, the, the appeal. Because Quentin was like a young, a young obnoxious <laughs> 
creative in Hollywood getting his start. Yeah. And we thought, oh, well, that's he can get away with it. So can we. Yeah. And it validated he had obscure movie, TV, pop culture references. And we did. So that was another thing that was like, oh, well, this is why it's okay. Yeah. He worked at a video store for years. Video archives. Yeah. And he was still working there when he wrote this, the screenplay for Reservoir Dogs. I think he knew somebody. I think it was like his acting teacher or the producer. Lawrence Bender. Yeah. Lawrence Bender. We're friends or went to acting classes or something like that with a friend of Harvey Keitel's. Yeah. They passed the script on that way. And that, that's how they got the money together to do that. Same right. with uh, Danny DeVito. Back in the day, around this time, was producing a lot of indie movies that wound up becoming much bigger. Oh, how cool. Danny DeVito was always sort of the patron saint of indie movies back in the day. Oh, he seems like such a good dude. I know. He seems like a really fun guy. But yeah, what you were referencing, Lawrence Bender gave the script to his acting teacher who gave it to his mm. wife, who gave it to Harvey Keitel. Oh, I see. And Harvey Keitel raised $1.5 million to make the film. And then he also paid for to run casting sessions in New York. And so that's how they were able to get like Steve Buscemi and, and the rest of the cast. I see. So yeah, it definitely wouldn't have happened without Harvey. Yeah. Without that chain of events. I think Lawrence Bender and Quentin Tarantino, I'm probably talking out my ass here, had a falling out over, I think, this movie in Pulp Fiction because Tarantino got all the credit mm. and Bender co-wrote, I believe co-wrote both of these movies. Oh. But through whatever conjoling or whatever, Tarantino ended up getting most of the credit for those. Both yeah. films, I believe. Lawrence Bender isn't listed as a writer. Yeah. Dang. Somehow. Huh. Yeah, from what I've read about Tarantino, that seems true. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend and I have talked about this recently, how everyone wants to be famous or not everybody, but you know, everyone thinks it'd be nice to be famous and be rich and all that shit. But yeah. the, the older I get, the more I think about it. It's like you don't have any anonymity. You can't just go to someplace and like get a beer without people crowding you. And the sort of like ruthlessness you have to have to to do that to someone to be like, well, we both wrote it but I'm going to fuck this guy out of getting credit for it so that I get the money and the credit and the attention. Mm-hmm. I remember I was I was working in this ER one time in San Diego and this lady was involved in an accident, but she did A&R or something like that for a major record label. She had assistant and somebody else there and both of them behaved so like such psychophants. And one would step out of the room and whoever was out of the room to get her whatever she wanted, the other one would just be talking shit about the other person. Oh, and, and they just kept doing this back and forth. I was in they're getting notes or something on her and she was like when can I go and I was like you can leave whenever you want but you were involved in a major collision it's best if we observe you the doctor will come in and talk to you about this further but it's best if we observe you for a little while just to make sure you don't have a brain bleed or something really severe that we can't catch right away because yeah. you know if you leave you know you go to sleep you may not wake up because your injuries and she's like oh you know I was just trying to be a little scary just to keep her there not to yeah. fuck with her but just to be right. like it's best if you stay. Yeah. So she's like, okay. She's like, I was supposed to go to this thing in LA tonight, but I guess I'm not going to go. I was like, I go, yeah, it's probably best if you don't go. And one of her assistants or whoever this person was comes up to me and she's like, so-and-so is really important. And it'd be nice if you could do what you could do to get her out of here as quickly as possible and, and a doctor to see her right away. And I was like, well, we're a major trauma hospital. So when more severe injuries come in, you know, we have to tend to them first. That's, we don't put priority on importance we put a priority on severity of injury or illness right and she's just like hmm so who would i need to talk to about getting and i was like no one you can't talk (laughs) to anybody about about that i just walked away yeah my whole point in that story is i would never want to be in that world that's just not how i operate or want to be around people who operate that way. So when I think about like the ego and the some lack of morals to like climb the ladder and get your movie made. I don't know. I just like, I'm not that delusional, I guess, to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a great movie and people are going to want to see it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's reasonable. That sentence alone is reasonable, but it's like, what length are you willing to go to, to get it to mass Hollywood audiences? Because plenty of people make little independent films that not a lot of people see 
but they're still really good, you know? And so it depends on what you want. Do you want to be famous and in every household in America? Or do you just want to make something that touches the people that see it? Yeah. What you're talking about, the like cult of celebrity. I was talking about that with a friend earlier today, just about how you can just pick any celebrity and there's so many shitty things about them. It's just like any successful, mm. I would say older adult because the younger ones might be better, but any older famous director, any older famous actor, there's like so many skeletons in their closet and you'll find out like that they're an anti-vaxxer and that they're this and they're that and it just seems like you do have to be kind of an asshole to be successful in in former Hollywood anyway I don't know if it's changing at all I hope so but <laughs> I'm sure you it's know, really hard a person whose opinion I, about movies and how they're made I, I've really come to respect her opinion is Amy Nicholson she's the co-host of this podcast called Unspooled and what they do is it started off looking at the AFI list of 100 movies and she has just ripped these ripped the AFI apart for like yeah. how much attention it puts on what white male directors and, mm -hmm. and one of the things she has repeatedly called out is the shittiness of these directors like Stanley Kubrick and what he did to Shelley Duvall on The Shining mm -hmm. and how they create this cult of personality around them and they're protected from being accountable for their behavior it, she has changed my mind on a lot of movies like movies I used to love mm. like Unforgiven I used to love Unforgiven which is directed by Clint Eastwood and she mm -hmm. has pointed out how in a lot of his movies she's just like the ego of this guy at least one female character in any movie he's in or directs wants to fuck the character he's playing <laughs> and she's repeatedly called this out and she's called out how shitty he is to his female co-stars like yeah. he'll date them and dump them and prom like you know just he does really shitty things to them uses them yeah and then cry macho I think that's the name of the movie this most recent movie for whatever reason I think I was flying and the movie was available so I was like oh I'll, I'll watch part of it I haven't seen a movie that he's done in forever and it's terrible <laughs> he is a skeleton with skin on it and that's how old he is I mean he's just I mean we're all skeletons with skin but you could see his yeah. skeleton and in the premise of the movie his character is tasked to go retrieve this rodeo boss's son from his wife in Mexico he's like go get my son back and he's like cool so he goes down there and this rodeo boss's ex-wife is a beautiful Hispanic woman in her probably late 30s, early 40s. She's like, I don't know. He's like into cockfighting and all this other stuff. You got to go get him. So he goes and gets him. He comes back to the house basically to tell her like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. And then she tries to seduce him wearing a nightie and he turns her down. And I was like... Dude, come Why? on, man. Are you and I all I could think about was Amy Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Like I would I would not have been as aware of this. I, I probably would have been like, oh, whatever, dude. Yeah, right. But it, it just yeah. she pointed this out. And now I can't unsee it. Like I, I remember yeah. there was a movie he was in with Charlie Sheen back when I was probably like 14 years old and they're playing undercover cops or something like that. And he gets taken hostage by the bad guys. And one of the bad guys is this sexy woman who rapes him, ties him up and threatens to cut him with a razor blade. Jesus. He doesn't have sex with her. I remember asking my mom about that. I was like, did that happen? And she was like, uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, mm. I don't know how we got on this topic, but Amy Nicholson of Unspooled <laughs> has really changed my views of the way a lot of highly regarded movies. It just has changed my opinion about them. A similar podcast to that that I recommend to you and to everyone is my unofficial sister podcast called Tossed Pop Popcorn. And I'm only saying that like they don't know me. I'm only saying <laughs> sister podcasts because they also talk about movies and they have popcorn in the title and they are doing the 100 AFI best films or whatever. And they are ripping them apart also because they're just like, yeah, there's so much bullshit on that list. And it's all white male directors, I think, or vast majority. And there's a lot of horrible things that happen in the movies yeah. and a lot of horrible people like Roman Polanski. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to touch back on our sort of thesis that we were <laughs> circling around about being raised by movies and TV and ask, how does Reservoir Dogs fit into that? Like if movies and TV are your parents and your extended family, what role did Reservoir Dogs play in that for you? I would say it vaulted my opinion 
appreciation for more adult fare. Like this is the first real adult movie I found on my own. So my mom is a retired cop and uh, and her husband at the time was also a police officer. I was just like, everyone has to see this movie. And I remember showing it to them. I was like, oh, we got to watch this movie I found. And, you know, they, they humored me, I guess. And as soon as it got to the scene where the cop was being tortured, both of them were like, turn this off. I was like, what? No, this yeah. is great. And they're like, we don't want to see this. And I was like, what? Why? And they're like, we're cops. We don't want to see cops. And I was like, oh, okay. Because it was so cringy. Yeah. If you haven't, if once you've seen the movie, it's not as gut wrenching. But the first time you see that movie and he gets his ear hacked off, they don't show it. They show the ear coming off, but they don't show the injury. It's in the shadow. And it's not until he's really about to, like this guy's like begging for his life that they yeah. finally show the injury. I mean, and it's grotesque. So I don't know. Anyways, getting back to the to the point of this, like that was like the first movie I was ever, I found on my own. It really changed my views on movies and like what to look for. It made me appreciate indie cinema that much more. It was a big part of like pop culture at that time too there was a swap meet we would go to and they'd have these like character posters of them and you would pick out your guy my buddy got mr blonde and i and i got mr white or something like that or, or and then we had this big giant poster it was huge i mean it was like as big as a car as 20 year old idiots that we thought girls are gonna be impressed by this like no <laughs> none of them ever were yeah. You said that looking back on it now, the dialogue and sort of interactions that you thought were really cool and entertaining back then, you now see them as showing that these men are immature and shitty. Do you think- Impostering, you know, yeah, they're, they're projecting amongst each other. A, a lot of it's just like a toxic uh, masculinity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you think that you and your friends holding these characters up as like examples of, of who you sort of wanted to be like, do you think that had any effect on you guys? No, because we weren't like- Yes and no. We didn't go down like a criminal path or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But we thought it was totally fine to say shitty things in front of other people. You know, like these guys are having a discussion about how like a virgin is a metaphor for a woman a dick. having sex with someone who has a giant dick and it hurting her. Hence it being like a virgin. So, you know, we would just have like, we would talk about stuff like that just out in the open. We didn't care who was around us because we thought that that was okay. Yeah. You know? And just being obnoxious, loud ass. ass <laughs> yeah. Could that be an alternative title for Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> obnoxious obnoxious loud ass hats yeah <laughs> it should be that should be the subtitle to it like dr strange love or how i learned to stop fearing the bomb and fall in love with it whatever the longer yeah. title is <laughs> yeah. reservoir dogs or obnoxious loud ass hats is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about this movie or about yourself one of the things in this movie that another thing that made me aware of who was watching this was it's extremely racist these characters are. Yeah. And and that's always the argument of like, is Quentin Tarantino a racist because he's putting these words in his characters' mouths? But it's a reflection of who these characters are, who they're all racist as hell. When we were still living in the, in the hospital corner barracks on Camp Pendleton, there was a couple guys that I worked with at my clinic, one of whom was a young black man named Hakeem. And Hakeem and P and I, and one of Hakeem's buddies, we would all play Tecmo, Super Tecmo Bowl. My buddy P had a Super Nintendo. We made like 150 bucks bucks a week or something like that. We made nothing while we we're living in the barracks. So like you go out the first weekend and then you'd have no money until your next payday. On the weekends we were broke, we would get like a 12 pack of beer and then the four of us would play Super Tech Mobile. And um, one day Hakeem or his buddy, one of them was like, oh man, you guys have a lot of movies. Do you want to watch one? And we're like, yeah, let's watch Reservoir Dogs. Both of these guys are black. You know, we should, I, how we could be so obtuse about this. So we're like, we'll watch Reservoir Dogs. Have you guys seen it? And they're like, no. Like, do you like Pulp fiction and they're like we haven't seen it. We're like oh what let's let's we'll start with reservoir dogs and we put it in there is some really racist shit in that movie yeah like immediately both p and i were like oh you idiots <laughs> and we stopped the movie at one point we're like hey guys we're really sorry we didn't even i don't know how we didn't think and they're like no 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 it's cool man it's cool it's cool like we're, we're digging the movie. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Don't worry about it. And so we continued watching it and they were like, yeah, that was a good movie. But I just remember how uncomfortable I was after that, like throughout the rest yeah. of the movie. And they're like, well, you guys want to watch Reservoir Dogs? And, we're, and I think P and I both at the same time, were like, how many N-words? Oh, no. In Pulp Fiction? Yeah. We're like, yeah. oh, no. There's the whole Jimmy 
scene where they after they shoot that guy in the head i was like uh maybe let's just play tecmo bowl you know we're like no we don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh no oh no yeah tarantino as far as i know he's put multiple usages of the n-word in every movie he's ever made and once spike lee told him hey maybe don't do that and tarantino went on a rant about how he can write whatever he wants and no one has a right to tell him otherwise i mean he does i mean but you should yeah. also not without consequence <laughs> yeah and i know um samuel jackson has come to tarantino's defense yeah. over about about that too but i don't know if if a white man should be the one making the decision on who gets to say the n-word in movies or not <laughs> yeah i had thought about that forever and then when i rewatched this the other day it immediately i forgot like i just forgot that he these characters talk like this yeah. you know and then as soon as it started happening it just brought that situation with hakeem and his buddy right to the forefront of my mind i was like oh my god i hadn't thought about that in years decades you know this is, this was like in the early 90s when this happened yeah that's so interesting to me because i think it really shows the way that this movie and probably like a lot of the afi movies are really geared towards like young white men and yeah once you get the opportunity to, to just see it through the lens of someone else with a different you know identity you see it differently and you realize that it they're not the audience maybe <laughs> which is like a lot of 70s cinema, which I used to love. And I, I, I don't like it as much as I used to. Like the Travis Bickle character, he's a terrible person. It's a terrible character. Yet when we were younger, that was the whole, you know, everyone uplifted Travis Bickle. All young men were like, oh, you know, you talking to me, you talking to me. And yeah. How he goes on a rampage at the end of the movie and kills a bunch of people. And and I, I, I'm older now. I think about that character. I was like, why did, why, why was, why is he considered an antihero? He's not an antihero. He's a fucking murdering, racist, misogynistic character. Like, why would you, why, why is that? That's not an antihero. Yeah. <laughs> a real antihero is a villain. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> No, but uh, I mean, an anti-hero, Han Solo starts oh, yeah, off as an anti-hero. I'm just joking, you know? yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen this movie probably 10, 12 years. So it was interesting to have, you know, a middle-aged man perspective on scene. Like, I don't know, someone who's a little more woke for uh than i was when i was 20 yeah you know i have, I have more world experience and empathy for others i guess than i did when i was 20 yeah <laughs> <laughs> well this has been a wonderful conversation i really enjoyed hearing about your memories and all your thoughts about this movie and thank you again for being on the show this was a real waste of my time but thank you <laughs> no <laughs> No, 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 this is a blast. I love your <laughs> podcast. I don't get to listen to podcasts as often as I would like to because I'm doing editing for other people. Yeah. But uh, I have quickly fallen in love with bringing your own popcorn. You just it's a different perspective. It, I like yours. I like your approach to getting to know your guests and uh, the way you conduct your interviews and talking about the film that they pick out. It's really interesting. So Aww, thank you so much. We have a fan. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome so much. <laughs> If listeners would like to find you online, where could they do that? Well, they can listen to our podcast, Graphic Novel Explorers Club. Yes, yes, do that. It's on hiatus as as of this recording. I got really busy this the past few months, so couldn't keep up with the show and graphic novel explorers club is the one that doesn't pay me anything so that was the one i had to pause yeah <laughs> I, had to, I had to keep my income coming in so you can follow us on that otherwise uh i don't really do much social media i'm on instagram but i pretty much it's blocked and unless i actually know you <laughs> yeah i won't i won't allow you to follow me and i don't want to follow anybody that i don't really know yeah if anyone wants to test their stalker skills you can try to find johnny <laughs> on instagram <laughs> But yeah, Graphic Novel Explorers Club is the best way. Or if you're interested in starting a podcast or you need some help with your podcast, uh, you can find my company under Flores Podcast Consulting. Just look for the logo of a dog talking into a microphone. It's my old dog, Franny. Aw, I love it's it. It's adorable. I did not design that. I paid someone to design that. And it's a million times better than my old logo. One final thing, pay, pay creatives for what they do because you cannot do it. You can, you think you may, but when you see a real <laughs> professional creative do something, you're like, oh yeah, that's why I'm paying you to, to do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> and on that note, just a reminder that Bring Your Own Popcorn has a Patreon, everybody. Hi-yo. <laughs> Okay, thanks so much, Johnny. Thank you.
Reservoir, reservoir. We're going to get those reservoir dogs. Reservoir, reservoir. We're going to get those reservoir dogs. Reservoir, reservoir. We're going to get those reservoir dogs. Reservoir, reservoir, we're gonna get those reservoir dogs. Reservoir dogs, we're gonna get those reservoir dogs. Those reservoir dogs.